You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Amy, and with me today are Mark and Kelvin. Hello, Mark. How's it going today? Hi, Amy. Yeah, nice to be here. Nice to see you guys. I'm excited to talk about this episode. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Listeners will notice uh, Christos is absent this week. Uh, he got caught in some bad weather, uh, so it's going to take him a little bit. But hopefully we can get him back here next week. Yes. And yeah. Calvin, hello, hello. How are you doing this fine day? Hello, my lovely. I'm very, very well, thank you. I'm uh, equally as excited to talk about this episode because it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It is. Well, listeners, um, we did have a wonderful uh, roundtable discussion with our patrons and some hosts, and hopefully you can find that on the Hive Mind. And we invite you to join, and you can do that. It's the second Saturday of every month, so please go check that out. Also, a little bit of news. Uh, yesterday, oh, well, I guess I should give a date. Um, that would be Saturday... What was that? The 14th? <laughs> there was uh, right. Trek Talks, uh, Trek Talks 2. Um, and you can go see that on YouTube. And I would highly recommend that. I was able to catch a couple hours of it. And it was this online charity event for the Hollywood Food Coalition that, uh, um, who's, who's uh, Enterprise Doctor? John Locks. Billingsley. Oh my gosh, yeah. John Billingsley really spearheads it all and got all these Trek people to come and talk. And it was this huge online marathon. Um, it was pretty cool. And they were very successful in raising over $100,000 uh, for the Food Coalition to help uh, feed people in Hollywood, Cal Southern California area. So um, I would highly recommend that. I learned some things uh, that I did not know. Um, very, very interesting. So I'll go and take a listen. Excellent. And a great cause as well. Yeah, very much so. Well, now it's time for All Good World. From Las Vegas to Boston, USA to Canada and South America, from the United Kingdom to South Africa. From Russia to Australia, the South Pacific, and beyond, this is All Good World. Each episode, we highlight a different location around the globe where this podcast has reached. Today's episode, we'd like to give a special shout-out to our friends down in Ecuador. Fun fact, the Republic of Ecuador is a country in northwestern South America, bordered by Colombia on the north, Peru on the east, and south and the Pacific Ocean just to the west. Ecuador includes uh, also the Galapagos Islands with all those fun turtles uh, over in the Pacific. And uh, it's about 1,000 kilometers, 621 miles west of the mainland. Uh, the country's capital city is, looks like, uh, is it, how would I mispronounce this? Quito? Quito. 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 Woo, there we go. You know, 
listeners, I always butcher words at least once a day. Uh, <laughs> well, hello to our Ecuadorian listeners, and uh, I'm so excited uh, that we have some listeners down there in Ecuador. What a gorgeous country, and uh, you guys are taking time out of your lovely beach days to uh, check out our podcast, so thank you. <laughs> That is pretty darn awesome. I would have never guessed we had listeners in Ecuador. It's awesome. How lovely to have a beach day as well as I uh, sit here in uh, a very wet and rainy Manchester in England. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, good good for them. Yeah, same here in Boston, wet and rainy. Yes. Same here in Las Vegas. Yesterday uh, was felt like Manchester, thank you very much cloudy <laughs> dark you know and then the rain came down i was like what is this wet stuff coming out of the sky <laughs> well you know i bet it's sunny and nice in ecuador and if i don't know fun fact another fun fact guys the name ecuador uh originally like the the word in spanish i guess just means equator oh so oh that makes sense yes fun it fact. does <laughs> I, I can't hear about Ecuador without thinking of a 90s uh, dance trance song that was in the in the charts here in the UK oh. uh, by an artist called um, Sash, and it was just called Ecuador, and it was a big hit. I think it was number one in the charts. So, wow, yeah, I'm I gotta listen. A, I'm having a flashback to being in nightclubs in the 90s. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so cool. Right. Shall we uh, take a look at today's episode then? Yeah, what are we talking about? So this week we are continuing with part two of our Get Off My Ship series. And we're going to focus on Star Trek Enterprise and the season one episode, Acquisition. Uh, for viewers, uh, uh, listeners, sorry, who will remember our previous episode focused on Voyager message in a bottle. Now... So can you just uh, quickly <laughs> can you just quickly refresh my memory? What was message in a bottle again? <laughs> message in a bottle is when you know we sent the doctor through that data stream, through that micro wormhole into the alpha quadrant. And when he got there, he was on this prototype starship that had been taken over, uh, was it by the Romulans? It Maybe. Was. Yeah, it was by the Romulans, and then the Doctor, and then the Doctor 2.0, um, who was played by, what's his name? Andy, Andy Dick. Dick. Yes. Uh, together, they had worked together to get the Romulans off their ship. <laughs> huh. I think I was not on that episode. Oh, okay. you That's why I don't it. remember it. Okay. <laughs> It was a good one. Cool. All right. Sorry. And I wasn't. It, it was before my time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, while we're talking episode recaps, uh, acquisition. For those of you who need to go and do a rewatch or maybe inspired for a rewatch after this episode, um, this was the season one episode that infamously showed the Ferengi uh, who took over Enterprise while the crew were all put to sleep and tried to raid the ship of all of its valuables. And um, the only person who was awake or immune uh, from the knockout gas, because he was in the decon chamber, was Trip. So it was Trip running around the ship in his uh, knickers and vest, uh, <laughs> trying to uh, foil the Ferengi. 
Oh my gosh, Calvin. I am so glad that you are on All Good Things just so I could hear running around in his knickers and vests. <laughs> I should dance, I suppose, if I've got an American audience, but for listeners in Ecuador, they may say knickers. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, uh, how did the Ferengi take over the ship? This is interesting because we kind of had a cold open there. Um, where a lot of the action took place before even the camera turned on. So let's uh, discuss you know, sort of how this happened. Yeah, what's going on in your head, Canon? I would have put money on that there was a, a, a reference in the dialogue with Captain Archer about taking on board an artifact that yes. kind of released something that put them to sleep. Now, it was a couple of weeks ago when Mark first told us we were doing this episode as a topic that I did my rewatch. So it's not fresh in the memory. But I don't, from having a quick look through literature, I'm not sure that was actually said. I think I may have headcanoned it. So, yeah, my headcanon is they're tricked into bringing something on board that they've discovered that the Ferengi have planted that has set off some kind of gas that has put the crew to sleep. And obviously with Trip being in the decon chamber, which is a kind of protected environment, he was, a, you know, not affected. So, so yeah, this okay. is interesting. Like we don't, like I saw that in the notes as well for uh, the episode when I was doing research, like this is the explanation that was officially given, but I don't remember ever seeing the device, which would have been helpful for the audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, and also, why was Trip in the decon chamber if they're just... I mean, I guess if he was on the planet and he brought back the artifact, but did nobody else go with him? Yeah, it, it definitely did reference why Trip was in decon. But I can't remember what it is now. Because he I don't did think just that... come back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But... Um... I, I can't imagine that it would be one device. Like, how many floors or levels is the mm. ship? And one device spreading gas? No, I don't see that, that that's going to happen. Yeah, you would almost expect it something to be more like a computer hack to trigger the environmental systems, to mm. flood all, I think about seven decks, I think, on Enterprise uh, with like anesthesine or something that we're more familiar with hearing in kind of TNG onwards. Um, so, yeah, I agree. If it was a device, it might have affected everyone in the cargo bay or the bridge, wherever they brought the device onto. Um, but, yeah, for it to kind of systemically get to all parts of the ship, that mm -hmm. might be a bit of a plot hole. Yeah, because when I first saw it, in my mind, I was like, oh, well, the Ferengi just played, oh, I'm wounded. Enterprise <laughs> came in and was like, oh, do you need help? And then that's when they were taken over. That's what I imagined yeah. before any of knowing all of this. There was... It was definitely environmental because when the Ferengis originally boarded the ship, they had gas masks, gas masks on. Yeah. Mm, so they right. had to they had to purge whatever it was that they'd used uh, before they could 
demask and start talking. So, yeah. And I guess it's a pretty lucky guess that this gas would knock out everyone. Everybody? Because they don't know what aliens are on any ship. They don't know anything about the human physiology either. Or Denobulin or Vulcan yeah. or anyone else that's on there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so surprised yeah. that Paul didn't know about them. And be like, hey guys, this is the Ferengi. That surprises me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now I'm upset yeah, about so that. <laughs> so that is one of my issues with this episode. And um it is I mean I think in some of the notes Brannon Bragger says it was a pretty desperate attempt in mm -hmm. season one to kind of plant something familiar to bring people across and, and you know other series have done that too they've had guest stars from previous incarnations like yeah. McCoy and Encounter at Farpoint etc so I, I don't think it's desperate I just think it could have been something else so when they did this pretty much carbon copy with the Borg and they didn't use the word Borg mm -hmm. for obvious reasons of continuity that to me was fine because the Borg are in the Delta Quadrant, they're out of the way, and these are remnants from first contact. So it, it worked in regeneration really well. But you can't really just say nobody knows the Ferengi when they are uh, an Alpha Quadrant species and Ferenginar is just around the corner from Bajor and Cardassia. So mm -hmm. either we've not been that far yet, which is fair enough, but the Vulcans would have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, we definitely haven't because even like at the time of TNG and Deep Space Nine, it's called Deep Space Nine and it's not called, hey, we're number nine of space stations. You know? But we're definitely deep. We're definitely deep in it. We're, we're nine deep. I, sorry, I, I mis, mis, misspoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose um, Common Land Nine doesn't really have the same ring to it, does it? <laughs> Known Space Nine. <laughs> you mean Terok Nor? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so it's interesting uh, so... you brought up the Borg. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was sort of this retcon. And so we get the Ferengi and that's never used. To, you know, they're just these aliens. But do you think that they were written this as a stupid villain because of how TNG Ferengi was received, you know, they were supposed to be the big villains for TNG and then they just ended up being a joke. Do you think they wrote it specifically to sort of yeah, fall I mean, into that? What do we all think about the Ferengi as villains, like in Star Trek in general? Because we saw them as villains in TNG, but not really as in Deep Space Nine or Voyager. Uh, I think the only other time was this time in Enterprise. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the Ferengi as villains, it was, it's very well known that it, it just didn't work in TNG. So they made them into this these comedy stooges almost. Um, I'm thinking of th what episodes like The Price 
um, were, you know, they're, they're more of an annoyance or an antagonist at best, but villain, no. And it was only really the individual Ferengis that ever came across as true villains like Damon Bok. Bok. Um, mm-hmm. Or the, again, taking over the ship, uh, Damon Lorin, who took over the ship in Rascals. Um, oh, yeah. So... Yeah, the actual Ferengi as the Ferengi Alliance, not really uh, a villainous race, just kind of individuals. So, and I don't think there was any efforts with Enterprise this episode to try and create Ferengis as villains. They were using the established Ferengi that we know from Deep Space Nine onwards as, you know, that that is the character. And there is a lot of this is played for comedy, let's face mm-hmm. it. Well, there was some of that, if you go back to Rascals, I like that you guys brought up Rascals, because again, we have the Ferengi taking over a ship, taking over the Enterprise, but they're sort of bumbling when they do it. They're able to take mm. it over, but not able to hold it because they're kind of buffoons. But that also is another episode where there are moments in it. I want my dad! Now, 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 now! You know, it's like, it's it's funny because it's Picard and he's acting like a kid, but there's moments in this episode as well where it's like, it's just funny. It's funny because they're buffoons. <laughs> so I want to ask, with the Ferengi being this not this Cardassian strategic, mm-hmm. you know, Romulan, like we're used to those villains, and so then we get the Ferengi, and does it make our crew does it make us look stupid for falling for it each and every time like i feel like it's a fine line that it's like yeah it can be fun and funny but then we just look ridiculous for falling for it each and every time well i don't know they're cunning i mean yeah i don't want to get political here but i mean trump got elected in the united states and he's not the brightest bulb uh it's just you know, strategic and, and cunning in a way and able to manipulate people. I don't know. So <laughs> Trump is the uh, Ferengi of Earth. <laughs> Trump does have the same Ferengi skin pigmentation as well. He is quite orange. <laughs> look at. And his he's all about the prophet. Ears. prophet. Yeah. <laughs> and he's always and he about getting umoks. And he likes his oh. fascination oh. with gold. <laughs> Exactly. Wow. Oh my gosh, this is totally taking place. <laughs> Trump is a Ferengi in disguise. We yes. figured it out. Selfish you know what? and capitalistic and materialistic. Even the name Trump, it does sound like a Ferengi. Yes. <laughs> Brunt. <laughs> Trump. Trump, FCA. <laughs> oh, Lord. We're going to get so much flack from all of our Republican listeners for this. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to both of you. Both both of the Republican listeners. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Enterprise did a really good job, I think, uh, with taking alien species that were established, I guess, with TOS and with TNG and, you know, others and really uh, developing them a little bit further. Um, I think they did that well. I know, uh, who was the makeup designer back then that was still... um, Michael Westmore. Michael Westmore, whose family has been doing makeup and arts since the dawn of of Hollywood. So uh, 
living legend and this was sort of his i guess swan song with you know the trek universe because he had done Mm -hmm. all of the previous trek essentially except for uh the original series and and here's like his you know on the way out he's making all these these great memorable aliens and i do think i see an improvement especially from tng ferengi to the ferengi you see in deep space nine to even the ferengi you see in enterprise and i say the same about um the klingons as well the klingons i think looked better in enterprise than they did at any other point i don't know i'll fight yeah, you i um, i agree <laughs> with you though matt so if we're looking purely at the aesthetic and the makeup here mm-hmm. you'll recall that star trek discovery got quite a lot of hate shall we call it <laughs> for the makeup jobs on the uh, the Orions and yeah. um, even on the Tellarite and Andorians. And a lot of people were saying it seems like it stepped back in quality when you compare to Andorians, Orions on Enterprise, yeah. which were considered amazing. Uh, and I'd certainly agree, certainly with the Orions. Um, so, yeah, how can something that is 20 years later with all of the advancements in prosthetics, makeup, um, and even just the money that's available, compare it to something from 2001 and it doesn't mm-hmm. look half as good? Yeah. The great thing that you mentioned, the um, uh, was it the Tellarites, and something that I loved about the Tellarites that they did in Enterprise is that they went back to TOS and they essentially did what TOS did. They pretty much created the TOS uh, Tellarite version, but uplifted it, you know, elevated it, made it better. And it was still sort of pig looking, but they didn't turn it full like Warthog, which I guess they went that route with the tusks and stuff with the newer iterations. Um, So I really, I don't know, I've given... Um, the two, if I had to pick between the Enterprise Tellarites and the new Tellarites that they're doing, you can't beat the Enterprise Tellarites. They're really good. Yeah. You know, one thing is you're talking about the Ferengi and sort of the progression, and I think mm-hmm. you're right. It just goes to Michael Westmore's credit and how, what a genius he was. But one thing I liked with the Ferengi is it seems like this enterprise is the go-between, this intermediary step between the last outpost season one TNG to what we see in Deep Space Nine. And why I say that, because like when we saw them in the last outpost, think of what they were wearing. <laughs> you know, these stupid fur things and da-da-da. <laughs> and then in Deep Space Nine, I feel like they've really got their look, their the coloring, their clothes seems very normal for Ferengi. Mm-hmm. And then we get the Enterprise. And I think it's a really good middle stepping stone between those two because like their outfits, very, it was rough clothing, very mm-hmm. similar to the fur, but not as polished as what we see in Deep Space Nine. Their coloring and makeup wasn't as I felt as fine tuned as what we saw. It was a little rougher, like that last outpost. So I think that this enterprise, even though it comes way before TNG chronologically, like, and 
even though it's the last produced, I feel like it's a good middle stone yeah. for the Ferengi. Yeah. Oh, I what, love we, that. what we see a lot specifically in TNG is the Ferengi Alliance. You know, so you see if military is not too strong a word, the military side or the um, the space furring on the Decora class ships, that's the Ferengi. And yes, you see them in the at the furs with the animal print in season one. But then season two onwards, they had the kind of a dark, dull brown and black with the little horseshoe on the chest. And that mm -hmm. stayed throughout TNG. But on DS9, we didn't really deal with the Ferengi as, you know, an organization. We dealt with Ferengi individuals like Quark and his family, even Brunt. And the mm -hmm. Ferengi uh, kind of collective was more the financial aspect, like the, you know, the, the Ferengi Commerce Authority or um, the Grand Nagus and Ferenginar itself. So I think um, comparing and contrasting TNG and DS9 Ferengi is interesting but it's we're looking at more civilian ferengis on ds online and militaristic ferengi on the original whereas these ferengi are ferengi pirates uh well they're mm. just referred to as pirates so are they part of the ferengi alliance does the ferengi alliance exist in this time oh, frame? Yeah, interesting who knows i would compare these ferengi controversially with mm -hmm. the ferengi on voyager on the episode where they try to steal Seven of Nine through the geodesic fold. Oh, uh, the yeah. Inside Man in season seven. And they are rogue Ferengi who are just out for profit and they're a little bit bumbling. And, you know, what are you going to do with all that money? Oh, lobe enlargements. You know, so mm -hmm. the that's the that's the connection I get with the Enterprise episode we're talking about here and now. I connect it more with Voyager Inside Man. Well, I want to tease for the listeners a little bit because I can uh, that in a couple of weeks, we are going to be starting a series that I dreamed up, geez, last summer, and we're finally going to get to it. Uh, and that's going to be the evolution of species within track. And so what we'll be able to do is be able to go back to the first time we see them in Star Trek versus how these species have developed over time. And I want to start that off with the Andorians, just because uh, to me, they're a species that, again, I think, like we were saying with the Tellarites, really hit their peak with Enterprise, and then they're not as cool now. <laughs> but we discussed that, and there's different opinions, you know what I mean? Do I have to turn up dressed as Charles Darwin for these series, Mark, if we're talking <laughs> about evolution of the species? What did he wear? A beard. <laughs> well, you'll have that. Hey, so I wanted to ask your opinion. Like, we are used to seeing, like, the crew and, like, this, everyone doing stuff. This was definitely Archer to Paul trip. Mm -hmm. No one else really did yeah. much of Noteworthy. How do you feel about episodes when that happens? I, I think it's very telling that this is a season one episode um, because uh, other Trek have done this before where they don't really have a full 
understanding of the full workings of the collective characters yet. So they put them in an environment where they're either isolated. Once that springs to mind, I know it's season two, but only just uh, DS9 invasive procedures. You know, oh, there's an ion storm, so we've had to evacuate everyone off Deep Space Nine and just leave the main characters. You know, that's quite handy. Um, I think Next Gen have done that a couple of times too. Um, so I see it as a positive because we get to focus on what is widely considered as, you know, the three top characters on Enterprise. But, you know, I do feel sorry. It, it's it's well regarded that Enterprise famously didn't really know what to do with its supporting characters. Um, I think there's even a line in an episode of Enterprise, the one that uh, Brent Spiner's in, the Ogment episodes, where Malcolm Reed introduces himself and he says, oh, I don't know your character. You need to like work on your PR, <laughs> which is obviously an in-joke. So it is a shame that we don't get the other characters. However, I am such a huge fan of anything where it's Trip and Paul centric and I do love Scott Bakula as well as Captain Archer. So I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it strikes me as very early series, kind of, we mm -hmm. don't know what we're doing yet, finding its feet. Oh, so you're, this is interesting. I didn't know that you're a trip into Paul. Like those are your, your go-to characters on the, on the show. Love, love, love. I think Jolene Blaylock is the best thing about Enterprise. Um, clearly, it's a strong woman that all the gays love. Yeah. Hey, well, what did you think? Uh, <laughs> in this episode, particularly, I was kind of, I guess, a little confused and thought it might have been a stretch when I saw her being like the vixen to that one Ferengi. She's like, Oh, I've been used as a slave, and will you rescue me? And whatever it she was able to, I guess, emote quite a bit more than I would expect the average Vulcan to. And that's, I, I don't know. So it kind of took me out a little bit and I just couldn't really see Spock doing that. But then I was like, I don't know, maybe modern Spock, maybe emo Spock. <laughs> I, I, I bought it. I, I think it's a tactic. I think it's fallen flat because they say they don't know the Ferengi. So if Vulcan's new Ferengi, she would know that they're all terrible um, you know, their, their attitudes towards women are not progressive, let's face it. You know what, uh, I would so say... Like that, she could get what she wants, So, but she doesn't. So it is taking a chance and a risk, but it works. I would go a step further and say that the frag, you're all a bunch of buttheads. Well, quite literally, if you look at the makeup. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I mean, I didn't... I wasn't taken out of the episode by T'Pol's overtly submissive sexual save me save me i just saw it purely as a tactic uh the fact that she gets close to them starts giving him umox and then follows it up by a, a nerve pinch i think was amazing so yeah i all credit to tapal yeah it definitely was a tactic but again it doesn't make sense if she wouldn't know the ferengi and that that would work but i don't know i guess she could have like observed them and like, oh, these guys aren't the smartest and then go for the low hanging fruit of I can seduce them because I'm a woman, you know, and that works on everybody that's, you mm -hmm. know, not intelligent. So yeah, maybe that. So then she wouldn't have needed any previous knowledge. I think that's a good call, Amy. Um, tragic to say, but, you know, it's in most cultures. 
uh women can use the do they call it feminine wiles to mm -hmm. uh, get what they want around men so yeah and, and i'm sure to paul probably just said hey i'm a, a female character in the burman era of star trek i'll, uh, I'll just be, i'll just behave submissively around all the men as a sexual object and that'll work for the treat so yeah yes yep oh you're so right and i wish you weren't <laughs> accurate <laughs> yeah. what would michael burnham have done <laughs> Oh, she would have kicked his ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, enough. Lord. Well, uh, speaking of the crew here, you, we had talked about the three main crew members that have, you know, a lot of uh, work to do in this episode uh, where everybody else is sleeping. Um, how did they get the ship back? I love this tactic and why I think it's good. And Calvin, to your point, like it's a good first season because we get to see the nonverbal and the, you know, basic understanding with just a look between the characters and they're, you know, this is what we're going to do and we're going to trick them and I'm going to take them to the vault and you distract them here. And like they're working together in concert. I really, really enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, and let's not forget, Archer and Trip have known each other for years. So even right. though uh, this is only season one, there is a long-standing relationship there, much like you have with Janeway and Tuvok. Um, I think it's great that you know they've had three quarters of a season with uh, T'Pol, so they can give her a knowing look, and and that shows the great communication that the three of those characters have got together. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think it, it's good. And and they allowed, this storyline allowed um, Scott Bakula and specifically Archer as a character to play the kind of the comedy role, uh, which is not something you get a lot with Archer. He was always so serious, especially from kind of season three onwards. So it's a, it's a, nice, a nice appearance. I loved how they, you know, searched and was looking for the vault. And then the one guy's, well, I'm looking at the diagram. Well, that's not going to tell us. And he's like, well, if the captain's quarters and that's where you keep it, like it just, it played into sort of I this materialistic of this Ferengi, but then yet still trying to be cunning. So that's why it's, it's weird when they fall for it, but then don't fall for it. I don't know. I, I still am not sure on if the Ferengi, like what level of smart are they? I don't know. It's back and forth I, for me. I think the, did they fall for it? Did they not? It was, you've got the, the greed of the Ferengi, but also they are selfish. So you've got the infighting amongst the Ferengi themselves as a group. And that is what Archer preyed upon to start planting the seed about who was in charge. And it's very uh, similar to what Strange New Worlds just did in the Serene Squall episode, where um, I forget the little code that Pike and Una say that they're going to do, and that's the kind of the tactical name. But mm -hmm. basically going to provoke a mutiny uh, and get them all fighting amongst themselves. Oh, I agree with you. The Serene Squall, the, that was something... I, I loved, obviously, every episode of Strange New Worlds. Uh, it's my quickly my new favorite track, and they only had one season. But that episode, that is a weak point for me. 
of just how easily deceived the crew of that ship are and so easily manipulated. Uh, but, you know, it is a trope that they do in Star Trek where they have this these marauders, these pirates that are just sort of bumbling. Um, they did it here with the Ferengi. They did it in that episode. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but that's my point where, and they say it in this episode where Archer's talking to the guy and is like, you know, you guys are so worried about materialistic. We don't have any of that stuff here. And then the Ferengi is like, well, then your system didn't work well enough. And I'm just like, really? So all of you guys are going to go into a vault because of your greed and your civilization and species has been able to go on past what ours did. I don't know about that. Well, they're a step up from the pack lids. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, can we move on to some assimilation or regeneration? Absolutely. So listeners, this segment, uh, assimilation is what we like because we want to assimilate it. And regeneration, we're going to send it back. It's We don't like it. Mark, tell us something. Well, I have an assimilation for the guest stars. Uh, we have the return of Clint Howard, who was just, I mean, he's been in pretty much, I think, all of Trek, except for, I don't think he was in TNG, but he's been in everything else. So it was great to have him back. Uh, Ethan Phillips, obviously, it was lovely having him back. And then uh, Jeffrey Coombs, who wasn't in, in Enterprise, uh, he was somebody other than um shran so this was his only i think non-shran appearance on enterprise okay can we just for me and if there's listeners out there who don't remember jeffrey coombs was he the main guy the main ferengi he was the the dumbest one in this episode which is crazy because the one that was played... with archer the yes. one that was doing the manual labor that mm -hmm. was jeffrey coombs yes Okay, so which one was Ethan Phillips? I couldn't. He was the captain. Yeah. He was the main one. Yeah. And then Clint Howard, I didn't even know he was in it. He was the <laughs> one in the red uniform who was almost like, I would say the security. He was like the brutal one. Yeah. Oh. And they had taken his scanners, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Clint Howard, no much makeup you put on that guy, you can still look at him in the face. And you're like, oh, there's Clint Howard. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it was interesting seeing Jeffrey Coombs as a different Ferengi besides Brunt, because we're used to Brunt being the really super intelligent uh, Ferengi, uh, very cunning Ferengi. And then here he is playing a, a different Ferengi, and he does a very good job playing a very different type of Ferengi here. it's You can believe it's a totally different character. Hmm. Uh, I like the Ferengi language. Uh, that we hear you know we spoke a lot in last week's episode about the universal translator and so we start the episode clearly uh, our universal translator doesn't know the Ferengi language so it takes a while for it to come uh, but those kind of dropping of the words that we as fans know um, such as umox you know uh, so I found that really rewarding that it's taken it's one of those nods that the fans know more about what's going on than obviously the crew, but even the casual viewer as well. Think about someone who may have started 
watching Star Trek with Enterprise, um, not having a clue who the Ferengi were either. So when this Ferengi language is playing out, it's just gibberish. But to us as fans, we we recognize certain words. So I thought that was really clever. I think um, it, it said somewhere as well in some of the notes um, that even though there was great lengths taken to not use the word Ferengi, um, if you were to put subtitles on screen, uh, it actually just says Ferengi dialogue. <laughs> so it, it says the it says the F word on screen. Oh, that that is true. I really liked this part of it too, and I was like, "Where's where's my subtitles?" Because I was thinking Discovery, you know, when how many episodes started with the Klingon language, but we could read what they were saying, even though we couldn't hear it. So I, and then it got me thinking, I was like, oh yeah. And then they did it in beyond. Um, and then I was thinking, is this the first time that like an extended amount of time that we hear an alien language? Is this the first time? Because like I said, discovery and beyond that is after enterprise. So Well, clearly we've got the episodes that are, all about not understanding the alien language, like Darmok. Uh, so you could argue that a lot of that episode was nonsensical and that was working out what we were going to say. Um, but I, I think there's been several episodes where the Universal Translator hasn't worked. Um, and we hear language yeah. for that period. So okay. the, the Deep Space Nine episode Sanctuary, where mm -hmm. the Screens are fleeing the Dominion and they come to Deep Space Nine and they want to all you know be relocated to Bajor and uh you know they have a very fierce immigration policy and basically say no go back uh but all of that episode there was a huge I think most of act one was uh the universal translator couldn't work on their language hmm. so yeah there's been a few oh I was gonna say I can't uh you know have an assimilation or a generation without bringing up the assimilation of Porthos, uh, they were impressed by Porthos's ears. At first, they were like, well, you know, he's probably a lower life form. And they're like, no, but look at his ears. You know, he's always yes, really a higher life form because he's got the, the long ears. And it was great seeing Porthos. And I love beagles. Shocker. Porthos had a bigger role in this episode than <laughs> the others. Hoshi, we didn't even see yeah, Travis yeah, or Malcolm. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching and then all of a sudden I hear get off my ship and I'm like, that's what I'm watching. So that was pretty cool. Good job, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize when I came up with the title for the get off my ship series that there was an episode where someone actually says get off my ship. And I was like, yes. Oh, that was great. So I, I thought that's too. why you chose the series. That's no. what you meant to say, Mark. Yes, you had planned it. Oh, all yeah. Along. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think we call that in universe validation. <laughs> yes. Uh, what else have we got? We've got um, obviously the focus on ears. Um, you know, there's lots of nice little nods as uh, Trip's having a bit of a tussle with a Ferengi and he bites the ears. Uh, that's a nice little uh, a joke because you would uh, assume that that's a particularly sensitive part of a Ferengi. So that made me laugh. Yeah. Oh, that was so funny when he goes and he bites his ear. I was like, oh, I love that. <laughs> but, you know, for a Ferengi, that's like biting his balls. Yeah. Yeah. 
That is a regeneration. I'm sorry. It's Paul <laughs> performing the umox and just that cringiness of it all. And I just, I really do feel it's inappropriate to be showing that on TV. Like if they get that much of a physical response from mm -hmm. that. Uh, well, okay. So if we're going to do some uh, regenerations, uh, what why did it take trip so long to find his clothes and what happened to his own clothes like shouldn't they have been right outside the the chamber the decon chamber like you'd think they'd be on a chair right there or something that's what well, i was thinking well two things here um perhaps his uniform was soiled in the away mission so we put it straight into the wash or the recycler, or whatever we do with dirty uniforms in Star Trek. So that could explain its absence. But Mark, why is this a regeneration? This should be an assimilation all day long. Any opportunity to see Connor running around in his knickers and vest is what the public wants. I mean, it's only a regeneration because he wasn't oiled up in the decon gel. Surely. Wow. He couldn't get the decon jail. They have to put it on each other, but he was there by himself. Again, a regeneration. Why was he in there alone? Shouldn't <laughs> have there been two people? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. May Mayweather, maybe? I don't know. They could have rubbed it on each other. Oh, lovely. <sighs> anyway. Uh, I do have an assimilation, though, that I'll tack on to that. That when the Ferengi are going around the ship and they are just looting it, uh, they have those giant sacks, and it just reminded me of the Grinch who stole Christmas. And they go over to like the food storage things, and they find like you know pies and whatnot, and they just smell it, and then they toss it in there too. I mean, that was just like the Grinch who stole Christmas, which is funny because if you remember from Galaxy Class a few weeks back, we had that great episode where the Ferengi was essentially the Grinch. Yes. And uh, it was so much fun. <laughs> I was really affected, <laughs> affected by when they were throwing the food into the bag, thinking, oh, no, you're going to squash it all. Put it in some Tupperware boxes. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think they'd have the sense for that, but I guess not. You know, I was really concerned when they were, you know, packing up Porthos and then putting him in the box and then shutting the lid. I'm like, oh, my mm. gosh, Mark is not going to be happy about that. No, poor guy. At least it was like a big enough box where he could breathe in there for a little while yes. before suffocating. But he probably, poor guy, probably only had like an hour of oxygen in there. Well, good thing yeah. they found him. Mm-hmm. That was the real jeopardy of the episode. How long can the dog survive in the box? Right. That Yeah, that was our high stakes. They were not in any danger, really, with the Ferengi. It was just a suffocated dog. Yeah. I did, assim I'll assimilate this. I noticed immediately when you see them boarding the ship that the Ferengi had their uh, the menacing Ferengi whips. Uh, attached to their hips. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they got the whips. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a real assimilation. And that was clearly done on purpose uh, as mm -hmm. a, a callback to the last outpost Ferengi. And also mm -hmm. as well, it was it was a very cool effect when it was used. It was really of its time. It was modern 
uh, when you look back and watch the last outpost now the whips are like they're like really girthy <laughs> for want of a better oh, word oh uh, they don't i know uh and even the the visual effects of you know the energy discharge doesn't look that good but this was when ethan phillips you know said why are you awake and then whipped uh trip it was a great visual effect mm-hmm. yeah it's very well done here agreed well should we get to some trivia Great. Yeah, so we've, we've mentioned about uh, the plethora of established uh, guest stars in uh, this episode, but I just I think it's it's a great opportunity to reference again about how you've got somebody who's been in every other established Star Trek series in this episode. So if it, if that was super intentional to bring the viewers in. It's great. So you've got the original series represented with Clint, who was in um, the Corbinite Maneuver, which was one of the very first episodes. Clearly, uh, you've then got TNG with uh, Ethan Phillips, who was in TNG again as a Ferengi in uh, Menage a Trois. Uh, Deep Space Nine, clearly, with um, Jeffrey Coombs. And Voyager, again, Ethan Phillips and Jeffrey Coombs, who was in Voyager 2. So mm-hmm. it just really brings everybody into Enterprise. And what a, what a stellar cast. There's some names there that they've managed to get hold of. Uh, so, yeah, well done to the casting director. Wow, I didn't even think about it as bringing in all the other series with those actors. I like that. Mm-hmm. I found interesting, this bit of trivia, that Trip here is seen in his blues blue undies um so that would be the science division and he was also in his like regular he's in operations red and in season three twilight he's in command goal so that makes him the only star to have been seen in all three division uniforms that's an, it, it's a great bit of trivia that however i must correct you slightly there amy it's not the it's not the blue knickers and vest it's the when he randomly eventually finds a uniform it's just a random crewman's uniform and it's too small for him but it happens to it happens to be a, a science division mm-hmm. so oh, it, it's the real enterprise jumpsuit everybody wears the blue uh, knickers and vest regardless of what oh, division you're okay. in on enterprise. Oh, there is okay. no uh, gold or red Oh, uh, okay. Underwear. No red knickers. <laughs> no red knickers. It's not a good look. <laughs> I love the rules of acquisition. I It's one of my many things that I like to memorize and quote, uh, just to test myself if I can remember which one's which. So, and we get some great call-outs and references to establish rules of acquisition that we know in Deep Space Nine, but also the kind of, again, retro continuity of this is an earlier time uh period so there may not be as many rules of acquisition so it we learn here that there's only 173 by this point in 2151 i think um and then clearly in deep space nine it's well documented that there are 285 rules of acquisition so um clearly some more were invented can a a little bit of trivia or a question for you to can anyone does anyone know what the 286th rule of acquisition was which was an unofficial rule that was made on deep space nine i don't know 
No. Amy, drawing no. a blank. There's the 286th rule of acquisition is when Morn leaves, it's all over. Oh. There's a reference to Morn always being sat at the bar. So can you explain a little of these rules of acquisition? This is the Bible, as you will. So they're adding new scripture. Is that? Absolutely that. Okay. So this is the the almost the, the religion of the Ferengi is these rules in which to kind of conduct all of your business affairs. Uh, rule of acquisition. Number one, once you have the money, you never give it back. And it's all of those kind of ways to live your life or ways not to. Um, and I'm surprised you've never heard this before, Amy, but the rules of acquisition were a uh, were originally kind of envisaged as the, if you remember in TNG's The Game with Robin Leffler, you had Leffler's Laws. Yes. And she kept quoting them to Wesley. The rules of acquisition were kind of a follow-up idea based on Robin Leffler's laws. You know, life isn't always fair, those ones. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, another bit of trivia here with the rules of acquisition, and you can choose to believe here whether this was a continuity error or whether it was in-universe evolution. So rule of acquisition number six in Deep Space Nine was never allow family to stand in the way of opportunity. Whereas here is uh, referenced as uh, never allow family to stand in the way of profit. So did they get it wrong or did the Ferengi decide to change that particular rule? Hmm. I think that they changed it or modified it throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think profit is more limiting than just an opportunity. So I think that would make sense to widen that rule. And all of the rules of acquisition uh, can be found in Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, uh, which you can find at most uh, used bookstores uh, and garage sales uh, in the United States. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, you guys, tell me your final thoughts on this enterprise acquisition mark i'm so glad you guys came with me on this journey today this is one of uh, my go-to episodes uh it, i know it's an indulgence i know you know according to canon we shouldn't have met them and yes the you know producers were just trying to like get more viewers so Let's bring the Ferengi. Let's bring all these, you know, stars that we know from, you know, past shows and stuff. Fine. It's an indulgence. Whatever. It's a fun indulgence. Uh, I, it, I love episodes that don't take themselves too seriously. There's not some higher message here. It's just a fun Star Trek episode. And sue me for enjoying that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I... I... I had some preconceptions about a rewatch on this episode um, because of that known uh, stigma that it has as a very obvious uh, ploy to bring viewers in. But you know what? It is a bit of fun, and I did really enjoy it. And it has got some laughing moments. And, uh, yeah, it's it's what I would call a romp of an episode. And... and we all know which direction Enterprise takes when you get into the Zindi arc and even season four with all of the dire consequences. 
here is just a load of Ferengi just trying to steal a load of money and things. <laughs> it's just retaking the ship. So it's very low stakes, but high fun. So I'm, I'm glad you suggested it, Mark. Uh, it has afforded me to reflect on my opinion of the episode, and I, I actually enjoyed it. I like this episode now. Yay! Yeah, it definitely is... Calvin, as you say, a fun romp. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nothing too high stakes. You know, I mean, the highest stakes was Porthos in the box and he was rescued. So that was good. We can all breathe deeper now. Um, and yeah, I like revisiting the Ferengi, even though we don't know about them. And it's sort of fun with that touch and go between TNG. Um, I think... Oh, what I totally forgot to say this in my assimilation. The whole T'Pol with no sense of humor and complaining all the time. And then when Archer's locked up and she's holding the key. Oh my gosh. If she did not deliver that perfectly and without cracking a smile, like you really said this about me. Um, yeah, that is high comedy right there. Um, and we get to see that. Um with the Paul. So yeah. Kudos, yeah. Kudos to Jolene for this episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Mark, what are we talking about next week? Oh my goodness. We're going to be talking about another one of my favorite episodes. Uh, we're going to continue with the shuttlecraft series and this is going to be part four. And we are going to be covering the Voyager episode, Good Shepherd. Uh, I know it's one of my favorite episodes because I put it in the watch list, but <clears throat> Newsflash, I have no idea what it's about, so I can't wait to see why I like it. Okay, so I am listening to the Delta Flyers, and that is the podcast with um, Garrett and Robbie. They just covered it this week. Wow, that's a coincidence. I know, right? Yeah. Excellent. So do you know what it's about? Um, well, I tend to like listen and then fall asleep. So. Wow. No, that I... must be a very exciting podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not all good things. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> we will cover it better. I'm sure. Yeah. We'll give Garrett some tips on the cruise in a couple of weeks of how to do a great podcast. Yeah, we will. <laughs> Calvin, you don't know what this episode's about either. Yeah, of course I do. What is it about? <laughs> This is a um, an episode where Captain Janeway recognizes some junior officers who are a little bit uh, demotivated or have some issues, and she uh, spots in their service record that they've never been on an away mission. So she decides to motivate the troops by going back to the front line and taking them all on an adventure on the Delta Flyer, and uh, chaos ensues. Yes. I do remember them talking about that. <laughs> oh, neat. This should be fun. Yeah. Great. It's a great episode. I will actually say that. It's it's a very good late in the run season six episode. So it's, everything's fully established, except for these four officers who we've never seen in six years. <laughs> well, listeners, we would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you'll join our Facebook group, the BQN Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also tweet your thoughts at allgoodpod. Please follow the network on Twitter and Instagram at BQN Podcast. 
We've also partnered with our friends at the Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching their master feed. So, Mark, where can people find you when you are admiring Porthos and Murphy's big ears? Oh, my goodness. I could spend so much doing that. They're both so cute, although Murphy's cuter. Uh, so when I'm not doing that, you can find me on the BQN Collective Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter at MarkWhite207. And if you become a patron of the network on Patreon, you can listen to my show. It's green. So, yeah. Uh, and Calvin... Where can people find you when you are not studying up on all of the rules of acquisition? When I'm not doing that, you can also find me on Facebook in the BQN Collective Facebook group. Or you can uh, approach me directly on Twitter and or Instagram at Kelvin's Timeline. And Amy, when you're not being a submissive female offering Umox for freedom, where can people find you? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, hey, listen, you can find me here on the network where I'm co-hosting Galaxy Class and Union Federation. I am also on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place right there in our Facebook group, the BQN Collective. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. That way you won't miss any of our fine shows like Union Federation, Galaxy Class, History with the Zalagis, Infinite Diversity, Mickey's Marvels, Sasswatch, What's the T-Bev and Trexpert's Quiz. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Mahindran Redakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music, and Mark White for our artwork each and every week. Well, Kelvin, I just want to point out that I do think you have the lobes for podcasting. So just throwing that out there. <laughs> thank you. If you'd, if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming due each week, we, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. We will add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy It's Green, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join the meetings of the Hive Mind Roundtable discussions on the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com for BQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out all good things.